0: All right, you guys feel like you're becoming experts in the book of Acts? <laughs> Starting to know it a little better than you knew it a few, few weeks ago, a month ago? Good, yeah. I hope so. Well, we're going to be in chapter 9, so go ahead and turn to chapter 9 while I give us a reminder about the context and where we are. And again, some of this you may think we well, already know this, you keep going over this. And you know why I do that? It's on purpose. Because I know how quickly and easily things slip from my mind. And so it's good for us to have reminders and be refreshed. Uh, and I used to tell my students when I was teaching high school, like, I want to be like that drop of water that just keeps dripping on something till it finally wears a hole into an old rock or something. Like Let's just kind of let this, let this God's Word just keep dripping on us, dropping and, until it actually changes and affects us. And sometimes that takes a little bit of repetition. For that to happen. So, as you remember, the theme in the book of Acts, or one of the main themes in the book of Acts, is making Christ known. And in chapter 1, Christ had told his apostles, He said, You guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's in chapter 1, verse 8. And if you remember, the apostles did that there in Jerusalem. They were making Christ known. There was really no church to speak of. And then on Pentecost, or when the Holy Spirit came that day, uh, then there was uh, the church built. It was like 3,000, 5,000. The church built there in Jerusalem. And as the church built there in Jerusalem, if you remember, there, there, were some, uh, there was a little bit of antagonism from the Jewish leaders. And what they ended up doing eventually was they had a man... Executed, and that was Stephen. Stephen was martyred. And if you remember, he you know, they they stoned him to death. They basically killed him with rocks. And so what it said is they the men went to do that. They laid their robes or coats down at a young man's feet named Saul. And we're going to be talking about him today. They 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 he was kind of a leader in that group. And so that's when persecution really started there in Jerusalem. The Christians were being persecuted. And then it said that they dispersed. And we kind of get the idea, the, the wording there is kind of the idea of like the, ske- the seeds were scattered. And so that life would be planted in other places. So as the persecution and the pressure came on in Jerusalem, the, the saints, the believers there, scattered. And if you remember, one of the guys that we read about that scattered was a guy named Philip. And if you remember, Philip brought the good news, brought the message of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans, whom the Jews did not like. And there was this reconciliation, and they got the message of Jesus Christ, and it transformed that place. You remember old Simon, the guy that was the sorcerer and all that? He put his faith in Christ. And you know we could argue about that later if you want to argue about that later. But uh, that, that place was transformed. Through the message of Jesus Christ. And then God calls Philip away from that ministry as we talked about last week. God calls him away from that ministry and says, I want you to go down to an old desert road. And he goes down to this old desert road and he meets a uh, Ethiopian eunuch and gives him the good news. And so from there, that's where we're kind of picking up today. And you can see That what's happening is God is accomplishing His plan. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth, which is also our call too. We're supposed to be making Christ known. And God did accomplish His plan. It probably wasn't the way these guys were expecting it, through a guy getting martyred, through people scattering out, through a guy named Philip sharing the good news with this bunch of people that they kind of had hated, and then a, uh, a, an Ethiopian eunuch. And then today, it even gets a little more surprising about how God accomplishes His plan. And what God does is God transforms a sinful man to accomplish His plan. That's what we're going to be talking about today. God transforms a sinful man to accomplish His plan. I'm going to go ahead and pray one more time, and then we're going to read this passage and then kind of talk about it in a little more detail after we read through it. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you have allowed your message to, about Christ to go out from this small group of people. And now it's been passed around the world for generations, and it it's come to people like us. We need the news of your son, Father. We need a savior every day. We need rescue, we need redemption, we need the healing that your son brings. And Father, please help us to embrace that, enjoy the good news about your son every day, and that we would also be willing and ready to hand that off to others. That we would also be messengers or witnesses in our little worlds. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'm going I'm to read through the passage here. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it. Uh, if there's a few different words, someone's going to have to tell me when to switch. Carly, you can do that. I know you don't have any problem telling me what to do. Uh, well, well, <laughs> so <clears throat> says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the idea here is that Saul, this guy that everybody uh, was kind of looking to as a leader of the assassination of Stephen, the guy they laid all the coats at his feet, this man Saul did not like the Christians. He wanted them extinguished. He thought it was a cult. He thought he was right on for God, and he was going to extinguish this new cult the way or the Christians, that, that, and so he wanted to get rid of them. So what he did was he went to that same uh, council. You remember as we talked about this council, kind of the Supreme Court, and he went to the high priest, and he said, Hey, can you give me letters? I heard that these Christians, uh, and he might not have called them Christians, but these uh, disciples of Jesus have worked their way up into Damascus synagogues. And so what a synagogue was, was a synagogue was basically... These small church fellowships, you know, a lot of them would meet in homes and, and different things. So it would be these group of Jewish believers who got together. They worshiped. It's where we get a lot of our service Sunday service things from. They would worship together. They would sing. They would read scripture. They would have teachings and those kind of things. And so these Christians were part of those Jewish synagogues. And as the word went out. They were in Damascus, which was about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So it would basically be like from here to about Flagstaff or something like that was where Damascus was. And Paul's like, I want to go get those guys, round them up, round up these uh, followers of Jesus that have infiltrated our synagogues and drag them out of there and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. So that's what he was on his way up to Damascus for. And it says... As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said, so now all of a sudden we have this guy, uh, you know, Saul ends up in Damascus in this place. But there's also this guy who has been following Christ there. Probably one of the guys that Saul would have come to get rid of. And so there's this guy and God, the Lord, speaks to him and says, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. So now we know what Saul was doing while he was there. Once he made it to Damascus, he was spending time not eating. It says he was without sight and didn't eat or drink, but he was praying, it says here. And in a vision, he has seen. So this is still the Lord talking and telling him about Paul and says, or Saul in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard about I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call your name. So Ananias is gone. I don't want to go talk to that guy. He's dangerous, man. He came here to kill us, and he got papers so he can legally drag us out and kill us. I don't want to go talk to Would you want to go talk to that guy? No. Thank you. Um, but the Lord said to him... <laughs> That's kind of funny, huh? So he's going, kind of making his plea like, well, I don't want to go. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, and laying his hands on him, he said, "Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once and arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the one who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket so here he went to go here he went to go get rid of these christians for the jews and the jewish leadership and what ends up happening is this big turn of events and this man who's the persecutor now becomes the preacher And in fact, he himself ends up becoming somewhat persecuted. So we see this gigantic transformation, this powerful transformation. And if we kind of put it in a phrase, we would say that God transforms the sinful man to accomplish his plan. Now, isn't that true of the text? Isn't that exactly what happens here? God transforms a sinful man to accomplish his plan. Today is no different. God transforms sinful people so that he can accomplish his plan. So the same is true for us. If you're taking notes, that first point would be supernatural transformation starts with the realization. Now, I kind of want to just go through a few things here and kind of uh, make a few few different points. Sorry. <laughs> Siri thought of it. Um, (laughs) So, if you remember, he was doing this on God's account. He really thought he was genuinely trying to please God. And so we see this as we talk about having a realization. If you remember, he thought he was doing what was pleasing to God. He was zealous for God. He was a very religious man. In some places it says he was like, the one who followed the law Better than anybody And he had the heritage to prove it He had the schooling to prove it He was the one who kept all the rules It says And even on top of all that He was going to go out And get rid of this harmful cult Called the way or These Christians And so I just want to make this point Because I think it's true Not only for those Who have never come to put their trust in Christ For salvation But also true for those of us who've maybe been believers for many years, that it all starts with the realization, and part of the problem is we can very often think we're doing great and really be on track and think we have it all together and even think that everything we're doing is pleasing to God. Right? That can happen for all of us. We can think, like, yeah, it's not, you know, we're doing pretty good. We tend to think, That we are right We tend to think that we are Righteous in our own cases And if you don't If you think I'm wrong Just think a little bit about this How often Your inner lawyer comes Comes up and starts talking Right Someone tells you you're doing something wrong Someone tells you you need to change something God convicts you You have the Holy Spirit telling you You should probably stop doing this Or you probably need to start doing that Or you probably need to go back and apologize What happens? Inner lawyer comes to the forefront. Well, that you don't know. You know, you didn't really mean it like that. You didn't say it like that. Well, that was that. Well, they they've they've been treating you like this, that way, and and this way. Well, God knows your heart. Well, right? I mean, I know you guys got the inner lawyer. I got the inner lawyer. We we got the inner lawyer. We tend to think we're righteous and we got it all figured out. And the fact of the matter is, we're very often justifying. Our own wrongdoing, or we're excusing our own wrongdoing, or we're blaming someone else for our own wrongdoing, and I'll tell you what—that short circuits transformation. Almost every time, that will tra- that will short circuit transformation, because real transformation when we re- is begins when we realize we've been doing something wrong. God very often is trying to tell us, "You're doing something wrong." You need to stop this or you need to start this or you're off over here. You're not spending your money right or you're treating so-and-so not good or you're trusting in your own righteousness to get to heaven. And so very often in plain, ugly terms is we need to realize our own personal sin. That's how a transformation usually begins. I mean, if you've ever been a part of a 12-step program, that's their first step. It's basically a step of admitting. And, and it's a biblical step because we need to, to realize our problems. And so what happens here in the scripture is Saul's cruising along thinking he's doing good. He's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He gets called on the carpet. He gets confronted. His sin is directly addressed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you persecuting me? And he could have probably been like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm, I'm doing things. I I, I Yeah, well... Really, we are so closely united with Christ that when he's persecuting the Christians, he was persecuting Christ, which is just a side note. That should make you feel pretty good. That's how close and unified we are with Christ. If someone's hurting us, they're hurting Christ. That's how much he identifies himself with us. And so he had to realize this, and he, he, he had to realize his wrongdoing. And I think another thing that he realized was he realized that Christ is actually alive. As far as Paul believed, he was a man who lived and died and that some legends had been were starting to get passed around about. And for many of us, very often, that can be our idea of Christ. He's a good teacher. He was a good man. He's like an ideal icon of a person to attain to be. He had a lot of good teachings, the principles about him. His character was good but to realize that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ pursued that sinner. Jesus Christ wanted to transform that sinner's life. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is alive and well and real and pursues sinners. And the more when we can embrace that and embrace, I've been doing something wrong, I'm a sinner, or I've been doing sinful things, Or, man, I've got a problem here, and we can go, but Jesus Christ is alive, and he pursues me even when I'm in my sin, and he can transform a person. So real transformation, the transformation that makes a difference, the kind of transformation that turns the world upside down is a transformation that begins, unfortunately, even when we think we're doing what's right, by admitting we're doing wrong, and two, by realizing that there is a Lord, a Savior, that He is real. He is alive, and He is Lord. That there is a Savior, a rescuer for us. Another thing we can learn from this passage is that supernatural transformation is a, a spiritual process. I mean, you can't deny. It, it wasn't that He got him. He didn't say and then Saul, on the way down to Damas- up to Damascus, stopped at a bookstore and got a self-help book on how to be nice and, and uh, win, win friends and influence people. And he read it on the way and on the journey and turned into a different man. There were some supernatural things going on here, the work of God in this man's life. And as we can see here, he was trembled. And, and what's the first thing He says, Lord, he acknowledges them. You're the ruler. You're the boss. What would you have me do? And I had preached a sermon on this once, and I made cards for everybody, and I still have mine in my Bible at the house. But that's a good phrase that we could use every single day when we pray. That right there. Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And so... Really, the reality is that was part of that supernatural process. Now, I'll tell you, most of us, honestly, we get up in the morning, we get ready, and we don't give much thought to, Lord, what do you want me to do? And even if he's impressing something on us, we don't usually pay much attention. We blow it off. Right? I got to get to school. I got to get to work. I got to get this done. I got to get the breakfast going. I got to get that. Oh man, I forgot this. And then you get on your way and then you're halfway into your day and you're like, I don't even have time for lunch today. I'm going to try and get that done. And we're not really making any room to find out what the Lord wants us to do. And very often if he tells us to do something, what do we do? Is we disregard it. And so we need to realize That part of this process, it requires surrender. Man, we don't like that, do we? Who likes to surrender to somebody else's will? Anybody here just enjoy doing somebody else's will? No. You know what it grates against? Our flesh. It's a super... Unless somebody else's will is totally awesome uh, for us. Like, you just really need a vacation. You need a couple days at the spa. And we're like, okay, I'm on it. I surrender to that. Uh, But but the reality is, very often, we don't want to surrender to anybody else. And the process of transformation requires us to surrender to the Lord and say, what do you want me to do? That is one of those critical moments that we face in the transformation. And I could probably go around here and we could probably all name ways that we know we need to be transformed. We could go around the room and say, man, I want to be transformed in my finances. Man, I want to be transformed in my anger. Man, I want to be transformed in in my uh, social life or uh, in my relationships. I want to be transformed in the way I treat others. Or I want to be transformed in my willingness to get into God's word and be more disciplined to do that. We could all go around and do that. But that, that critical moment when he says, surrender, to go, Lord, what would you have me do? He's like, I want you to get up. 20 minutes early and start getting in your Bible. -ah, I don't need that. You don't know. Uh, I'll just listen to the audio thing on the way while I'm driving. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But do you understand what I'm saying? That moment where he says, Lord, what would you have me do? Where it's his will, not ours. If we want to be transformed, there has to be a moment of surrender. And I will just tell you outright... Our flesh thinks that sucks. Our flesh does not want to do that ever. Ever. We all start fighting that. But on another note, I want to just say this because I, I think the word surrender is a beautiful word. And this way, I really have embraced it over the past couple of years. And the reality of them, surrendering to Christ in this sense is kind of beautiful and a lot easier. To do. And sometimes if I surrender in this sense, it's easier to surrender my will. But if I'll surrender to his love and just open myself up to the fact that he loves me, if I'll surrender to his forgiveness, if I'll surrender to his life and character, <clears throat> and I'll surrender myself to the, his hope that he brings, that very often softens me. It makes it a little bit easier for me to surrender. In a a sense of obedience, and so transformation. If you want to be transformed, it's going to take some surrender. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. There's not a magic wand under here that we pull up and say, "You want to be transformed? Come up front, pippity poppity boo." It doesn't happen like that. It's it's a spiritual process that requires surrender. This is a, a I'm not I'm. I'll let you go back and reread this chunk. But this is the part about Ananias. And so, if you look at this, Paul, or Saul, who we later know as Paul, he's not just sucked out of the road from Damascus and teletransported uh, to some other place to start preaching and, you know, has some ethereal experience Part of his transformation process involves other people. And so it's very individualized, but it involves another man. It involves Ananias. God takes, and I'm going to make a point on this in a minute, but but God takes this man, Ananias, and plugs him into Paul's life. And I believe this Ananias man is one of the people, and we're going to see later uh, that uh, Barnabas does the same thing, kind of <clears throat> affirms or confirms Saul as a believer. And if you think about that, we all need affirmation and confirmation in our lives. We here as the church gather to be built up, don't we? You come here hoping to be built up, not torn down, not nitpicked, and sometimes that Im- involves some uh, some conviction, but we we come here to be built up. And that happens most often through other people, whether it's from the pulpit, someone leading music, leading you, someone working with the kids, someone giving a word to you. But God uses other people in you, in your individual journey to be transformed. You know, uh, Jeff's transformation process may look different than Joel's, may look different than Carly's. And so there are very individualized plans for us all that God does, but he uses other people in our lives. And so real transformation is a spiritual process that's very individual in nature, but it involves others. We're a body of Christ. We need each other. Doesn't happen in isolation, and some of us like to be isolated. We just prefer it that way. But the reality is, as God transformed this man, he got some other people involved in his life. And so on, on that note, I want to just make a quick... We might talk more about this on Wednesday. So we all need an Ananias in our life, someone to confirm, affirm, right? He prayed for him. He put his hands on him. He 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 basically, through his prayers, the scales fell off his eyes. He's the one who... Uh, Saw and witnessed the Holy Spirit coming upon him. He's the one who baptized. Can you imagine me and the guy that gets to baptize Paul? That's pretty awesome. And so, Ananias, and then also it says that Paul went in with other believers, other disciples, and spent some time with the other disciples there in Damascus. It was a f- Christian family event that was happening. And Saul slash Paul, AKA Paul, needed those other people. And the fact of the matter is we need each other too. But we also can learn something from Ananias because we need to be Ananias to other people. We need others, but others need us. And you know what it said Ananias was a disciple or a follower. That's how it started out the whole thing about Ananias. He was so we need to be following. He was a no-name guy. No we you wouldn't have known about him unless he was involved in Paul Think of all the people, and you may think, I'm a no or What do I have to offer? Well, if we wouldn't have got this glimpse in Scripture, we might not have known about this guy, Ananias, who had a profound effect on Paul's life. And he was afraid, wasn't he? God asked him to do something that was really uncomfortable, and if we're going to be an Ananias for someone else and be used to confirm, affirm, build up others, we're going to have to do something uncomfortable and get out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to make a call we don't want to make. We're going to have to have a conversation we don't want to have. We're going to have to uh, maybe give some encouragement we don't want to give or a confrontation or truth or spend some time with someone we don't really even enjoy. But if we're going to be an Ananias, that's what it takes. Ananias could have just as as easily blown God off, although the way things were happening there in the early early church, I don't think you'd want to do that. You might get dropped. But... But he could have just as easily ignored God's instructions, but he listened, God spoke to him, and God said, I've, I've told him you're coming, I'm sending you, go, and he went. So we need others, but others need us. You never know the ripple effects that you're going to have on someone's life. And so just like Ananias, you don't know the effects you're going to have. So again... Transformation starts with the realization. This transformation is a spiritual process. And it's also for a divine purpose, right? God didn't just save Paul, transform Paul. Didn't do this miraculous conversion for Paul just to set him on a trophy case somewhere, did he? Uh, a Car- the Carly and I's wedding song is Stuff That Works. It was a song, that our first song we danced to. It's a kind of a hillbilly sounding song. and It's pack, talking about stuff that works, stuff you don't hang on the wall. It's kind of like this isn't for decorations. It's just the stuff that's kind of beat up, the old truck, the old boots, the old guitar, all that kind of stuff. It's like stuff that works, stuff that holds up. I'm not going to sing the rest of the song, but it's starting to play in my head. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's God. that's the way God works. God saves us. God transforms us because he has something for us to accomplish. And so that's what he did with Paul. He didn't just set him in a trophy case somewhere, did he? He sent him out and got him preaching. And you know, some of the people he went to preach to, it said, uh, Ananias was, was told and said, "It, you're going to go preach to kings, you're going to go preach to Gentiles, and you're going to go preach to the children of Israel. And Paul, was we see here, he's preaching to the children of Israel. And they hate him for it. And so the fact of the matter is, is transformation is for a divine purpose. It may not make a lot of sense, but God wants to use what he does in us for others. So we're transformed for the purpose of making Christ known to others. Did you know what? God did not just save you for you. Do you know that? You know, God doesn't want you to get built up every week at church or in your own devotion time just for you. Did you know that? It's not all about you. It's not all about me either, which stinks, but it's not all about us. We're saved so that we can be sent. And, I, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not going on the mission thing. Don't even try and talk me out of it. No. No. Paul was sent to a unique group of people. He was sent to kings, Gentiles, and Israelites. And you know what? If we look around this room, we have enough people here that could be sent into different, you know, Deanna in a counseling setting, Mark through irrigation business, Rochelle through doing, uh, I not want to say deeds, but it's uh, mortgage st- uh, stuff. I can't think of the fancy words for it. Uh, Carly at school My mom with her friends And we can go through Everybody in their own individual circles Have been sent And you think about the seeds That are planted out there We gather to be built up So we can be bold when we go out And so that's what he does I mean we got Belen back there She's got all kinds of friends At school that she can reach That nobody else in this room Will ever be able to reach And the same is true for you. And so God transforms us. He he converts us. He makes us new. He gives us new life. And he transforms us so that we can reach a particular group of people (coughs) that others can't reach. Here's the bad news. Fulfilling our purpose often involves suffering. He even told him; he said, uh, he told Ananias, he said that, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, Paul, Paul knew right off the bat he's going to have to suffer. And what happens also when he goes and goes and preaches the message to the Jews, is he Mr. Popular? Everyone like, oh, Paul, how awesome. No, he's immediately sneaking out of a town through a basket. How humiliating is that? I feel like that's pretty... I don't know what that was in that culture, but to me, that's pretty em- embarrassing. Uh, probably an embarrassing way to leave town, sneaking out through a basket and a hole in the wall. I'd like to know what the modern-day equivalent of, of that is. Having to ride a tricycle out of town or something, I don't know what it would be. I'm not talking about a cool big track. I'm talking about a little squeaky kid's big wheel track. The trunk of someone's car. Yeah, having to go into the trunk of someone's car. The reality is our transformation, our transformation, the people in this room, our transformation is God's plan for letting the world know that Jesus Christ is real and alive. You know, God doesn't have some other plan for making his son known. He doesn't have a skywriting campaign he's going to start in 2020 where he's going to start writing scripture in the sky, uh, in clouds. He doesn't have um, something where he's all of a sudden going to have the animals Start walking around and telling people about uh, his son, Jesus Christ. He's not going to do it through our government. I can tell you that right now. It's not going to happen through the government and legislation and rules and laws. That's not how people are going to become believers and know the truth about Jesus Christ. He has one plan. is to transform people like us and to send us out. And I'll tell you what, if we can't get excited about that message and take that serious, then we should just shut this place down honestly. Because that's what God wants us to do. And it's a waste of time if we're going to sit in here get filled up and get filled up and get filled up and get filled up and get filled up and, filled up and never be wi- willing to be bold and go out. Because that was His whole purpose in saving us, is to make His Son Jesus Christ known. And I'm not trying to be mean about that, but I'm trying to let us know it's not okay for us just to sit and soak and sour and try and be hot tub Christians that want to just sit back and be comfortable all the time. God wants to transform us. He loves us. He's shown us mercy. He's shown us kindness. And the world needs that. I mean, the way, the, the way that we need Christ, and I bet you if we go around, everybody say, I need Christ. The way we need Christ is the way the world needs us. Because they need that hope. They need that message. And so we see that God takes the sinful man and transforms him to accomplish his awesome plan. And the same is true for people like us. And man, transformation can be a slow, ugly, but spiritual process, right? I said it's a process. It's not always pretty. We're at all at different stages. But God has chosen you, converted you, rebirthed you, and is transforming you for his purposes so that we can share that good news. And you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. All you need to do is be willing to start telling people a little bit about what you know about Christ. Even if it's a little bit. If it's one thing and you're the like one-string banjo guy that just have, keep playing that same string all over because that's all you know, play that one string over and over. Tell people what you do know about Jesus Christ. Because we need to spread that good news. And I'll say this, if that doesn't excite you, <coughs> and I'm not going to say anything mean or negative towards you, if that doesn't excite you and you're like, not there, then I, I, I would honestly say, take some time to realize what Jesus Christ has done for you. Maybe you need to be refreshed that he loves you. Maybe you need to be refreshed that he's forgiven you. Maybe you need to be refreshed that he provides you with eternal life. Maybe you need to, to be refreshed in the fact that you're forgiven and given eternal, not not just eternal, but abundant life and his character. And maybe you need to take some time soaking on that. And as you enjoy and take in and get filled up with what Christ has given you, you'll be ready to pour out. But God transformed. God took this man Paul, and what a beautiful picture. He transformed this sinful man to accomplish his plan. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to be the torchbearers of Jesus Christ. He has no backup plan. There is no other backup plan. We're his plan. His plan A, B, C, and D, and whatever else comes after that. So if you're not excited about that, I really encourage you, and I don't say this condescendingly, Uh, We can all get beat up and worn out. Take some time and enjoy God's goodness to you. Jesus Christ, the grace that Jesus Christ brings. Soak in it this week. And just realize that as you get filled up, as we, we here get built up so we can be bold when we go out. Both those things, both those parts are important. We want to be people that are transformed to carry out the purpose of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the life that we have because of him. Help us in this room to to let this message, if our hearts are sealed off to it, Father, I pray that you would let it trickle into some people's hearts today, if that's just all the further it could get. I pray that in others it would begin a flood, a steady stream, that this message would transform our church father that we would be a group of people who do not just want to be built up but that we would be built up so that we could be bold when we go out help us to spread the message in the unique mission fields that each one of us have been placed in help us to enjoy your son and we pray these things in his name amen Amen. have a good labor day weekend y'all